Sagemont, so good to be with you today. Thanks for coming today to Sagemont Church. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. We are starting to land the plane on the book of 1 Peter. And uh, we're in the last chapter in... Last week, if you missed last week and you go back and, and check out that sermon, probably had more feedback on that sermon than I have in a sermon in a really long time. Peter was teaching us how to overcome anxiety. And in it, in verse seven, he gave us one of the most comforting verses in the entire Bible. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. All right, Peter makes this incredibly comforting verse, statement. He says that you and I can cast all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our anxieties on God because he cares for us. But then, after he makes one of the most comforting statements in the Bible, he immediately changes the subject. And he starts talking about something that's a lot more ominous. And it's this, look at verse eight. He then immediately says, now, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, that's a really famous verse. If you grew up in church, you've heard it a thousand times, but I've never thought about that verse in the context of the whole chapter or more importantly, the, the verse right before it. And when you do, it's kind of funny in, a, in a, one way because Peter gives us this nice, warm, comforting, calming verse that God loves us and he cares for us and we can cast all our anxieties on him. But then in the ne very next word, he says, but you have an enemy and he wants to devour you. God cares for you, so you don't need to worry, but you need to remember that you have an enemy, his name is Satan, he wants to completely and totally take you out. And that's what Peter's doing today, is he is showing us how to overcome the attacks of the enemy. Last week he talked about how to overcome anxiety, this week he's teaching us how to overcome the attacks of Satan in our life. Now let's talk about Satan for just a second before we jump into the, to the text. The movies paint um, Satan as this co-equal but opposite power with God. The movies love to do that. Paint Satan and, and God as equals. They're just opposite side of good and bad, but that is very much unbiblical. Satan is not God's equal. God created Satan, created him as an angel. Um, he is very powerful, but he's not equal with God. He's probably on par with Michael or Gabriel, and he's an evil version of that. Uh, Satan rebelled against God. God kicked him out of heaven with the third of the angels, which are now the demons. And again, he's extremely powerful, but he's not God's equal. But the thing that we need to understand is that he is our enemy, which Peter's gonna talk about in a second. And his whole goal in the short time he has left is to take you and I out. And so what Peter does in these two verses is again, he teaches us how to fight back against these attacks of Satan that are inevitably gonna come into our lives. And, and here's what he does. There's two things, if you're taking notes today, here's two things he does. First thing he does is he teaches us like how we need to view Satan. Talks about who is Satan to us, how we need to think about him. 
how we need to view it. And then the second thing Peter does is he gets really specific about, hey, these attacks are coming in your life. Here's how you defend yourself against them. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in here and let's look at verse eight. And we're gonna look first at what he says about how we need to view Satan. In verse eight, he says, be sober-minded and be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So he's describing Satan. He's talking about how we need to view him. And he makes, he says two words. He describes Satan in two words. Both of them are important. He says, Satan is your adversary. Now let's talk about uh, uh, the word adversary for a second and get our minds around it. The word adversary in the Greek is a word that simply means enemy. Saying Satan is your enemy. But there's a couple of words in the Greek language that gets translated to enemy. One of them means kind of a rival and the other one means what he's talking about today, which is a much more serious word. And so Peter uses this particular word to show the level of animosity and anger that Satan has against the people of God. And to show you the difference between one word that can be translated to enemy and the word that Peter actually uses, a good example of that can be found in the Aggie fight song, okay? Now, if, um, if you're an Aggie, Texas Aggie football fan, and you were talking about the University of Texas, which we affectionately call them TU, um, if you, you, you could legitimately, if you're thinking about the University of Texas, you could legitimately think about them as your enemy, but what you really mean by that is they're not your enemy. They're really your rival, right? They're your opponent. And we get that mixed up sometimes as Aggies. Y'all know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, the Aggie fight song is a great example of that. The Aggie fight song was written by a guy, it's a true story, it was written by a guy named J.V., J. V. Pinky, that's his nickname, J.V. Pinky Wilson. And Pinky Wilson was an Aggie. He was in the Corps of Cadets. And after he graduated from, the, uh, from A&M and the Corps, he fought as an army officer in World War I. And what's crazy is Pinky wrote this song while he was in a trench in the middle of a battle in France against the Germans in World War I. All right, that's crazy. <laughs> Pinky was literally, he was in a literal physical battle against German forces. He's sitting in a trench in a lull in the battle. He pulls out a pen and a piece of paper and he writes these words. Goodbye to Texas University. <laughs> so long to the orange and the white. Good luck to the dear old Texas Aggies for they are the ones that show the real old fight. The eyes of Texas are upon you. That is the song they sing so well, it sounds like hell. So saw varsity's horns off. Saw varsity's horns off. Saw varsity's horns off. Short A, whoop, right? Now, that's a funny story, but I want you to think about it for a second. Who was in that moment, J.V. Pinky Wilson's actual enemy? It wasn't the University of Texas, right? Those were his rivals. His real enemies were the German soldiers that were on the other side of the trench that didn't want to beat him in a football game, but wanted to kill him, wanted to take his life. And that's the kind of enemy that Peter is talking about here when he calls Satan your adversary. 
He's letting you know that Satan is not some annoying rival like we see on the television, but he is an enemy. He's powerful, and he wants to absolutely and utterly destroy you as a child of God. And so let's keep going because there's another word that Peter uses to describe Satan that brings it home even more. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil. So he describes Satan as this really vicious, intense enemy that's trying to kill us. And then, interestingly, he uses the personal pronoun, your. He does that intentionally, guys, because he's trying to show us that Satan isn't just God's enemy. He's not just Christ's enemy, but Satan is your enemy. He's yours. So he's not just trying to take out the kingdom of God, but Satan is trying to take out you as a child of God. That's exactly what we see in Revelation 12, 13. Don't turn there. Um, I want you to listen to this. It's describing Satan and his animosity towards Christ and for us. In verse 13 of Revelation 12, it says, and when the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. There's debate about who the woman is, either Israel or Mary, but it's a verse that's clearly talking about Satan's animosity towards Jesus. Now look at verse 17, Revelation 12, 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Sagemont, who are the rest of her children that keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus? Those are Christians, you and me. So what this verse has told us is that Satan has made a declaration of war. Not playing around, not messing with us. He's made a declaration of war. And Satan hasn't just declared war on Christ. Satan has declared war on the followers of Christ. That's you. That's me. You have an enemy who has declared war on you. He's not playing around. And his whole goal in the short time he has left, because he knows his time is short, his whole goal is to utterly destroy your life physically and spiritually. He's your enemy. And so um, what Peter does next, after he makes sure we understand who Satan is, is that he is our adversary. Is he's gonna start talking about how to, how to defend ourselves against these attacks of our adversary in our life, all right? So let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8 again. Look at the first thing he says. If you're taking notes, it's the first way that you fight back and defend yourself against the attacks of our adversary. Peter says in verse five, or chapter five, verse eight, he says, be sober-minded. As the first way you defend yourself against the attack of Satan is you and I are to be sober-minded. Now, what does that mean? That we're supposed to be sober-minded. Minded. Well, there was this movie. Let me explain it to you. There was a movie in the 90s that came out. It was a secular movie, but um, it was called The Usual Suspects. And there was a line in it, pretty famous line. You might have heard some preachers say it before at some point in time, but there was a line in it from one of the characters that he was actually talking about Satan. And he said the greatest trick that Satan ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Now think about that. The greatest truth, the greatest trick that Satan ever pulled is convincing the world that he didn't exist. And I think that's what Peter's getting at. His, his point is, look, we need to be keenly aware 
that we have an enemy, an enemy that has declared war on us. And he's not just trying to take out the kingdom of God. He's not trying to take out Jesus. He's trying to take out you and me. And we need to be keenly aware. We need to have a mindset that we have an enemy that's trying to take us out. Most of us don't. Most of us don't think about the enemy hardly at all. Peter's saying we can't do that. We've got to be sober-minded. Think about this. I want you to think about what your mindset was like. For those of you that are old enough, I want you to think about what your mindset was like the day before the attacks on September 11th. How many of y'all were alive back then? Yeah, most of us. A lot of young people weren't, but a lot of older folks were. What was your mindset like on the day before September 11th? If you're anything like me, you didn't have a wartime mentality. You were just cruising around, living your life, changing diapers. That's what I was doing the day before September 11th. Living this sort of sheltered, happy life. Now I was poor as a church mouse, but we were happy. But then something happened the next day. Something happened on September 11th that changed all that. Our country was viciously attacked by an enemy and almost 3,000, actually over 3,000 American citizens lost their lives. And let me ask you a question. How did your mindset change when you saw those towers fall? You had a mindset change, didn't you? What was the mindset change? If you're anything like me, it hit you like a ton of bricks in that moment. I cannot carry around with me this pie in the sky, false sense of security, because the reality hit you like it hit me that we are at war. And it was incredibly sobering. And you looked at the world differently. It's exactly what Peter's saying. You gotta wake up. You can't cruise through life with this pie in the sky, everything's gonna be great attitude. Yes, you have a God that loves you. No, you don't need to be anxious because he's mighty and he cares for you, but you need to be sober-minded about the reality you have an enemy. And he's declared war on you. He's gonna to try to take you out. Okay, so that's number one. You gotta be sober-minded. Because second thing he says, in verse eight, he says, be sober-minded, and then he says, be watchful. So you, you need to first be sober-minded. You need to be completely aware that you got an enemy that wants to take you out. And the second thing you do is you got to be watchful. That's a word that means to be alert. He's saying be watchful for, be alert for the attacks of the enemy. But that brings, to a, brings us to a really important question, Sage Mont. Like, how do you watch for the attacks of an invisible enemy? I mean, Satan's invisible. We can't see him. So how do we be alert for? How do we watch for the attacks of an enemy that we can't even see? Well, I think Peter understood that. Because in the very next thing he does, after he says be watchful, is he starts describing Satan. He starts using descriptive language about what Satan and his attacks are gonna look like. Calls him your adversary. But then he describes Satan. He describes what his attacks are gonna be like. Look at verse eight. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, watch what he says, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, be alert, be watchful. And here's what you need to be watching for. Your adversary 
is going to be like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word devour, by the way, means to eat, to gulp down. Sounds bad, all right? So the more I've thought about this, check this out. The more I've thought about this, the more I'm convinced that Peter's not just waxing poetic here. I don't think he's like just saying, oh, he's like a roaring lion and trying to cool. That sounds cool. We'll write him down. No, I think he's actually describing what Satan's attacks are like. Let me explain what I mean. For years ago, at my former church, we hired a pastor from South Africa. He was born and raised in South Africa, started a church in South Africa, and in his spare time, he was a game warden for the South African government on this massive game preserve in South Africa there. And so a couple of times a month, he would take these people on safaris for several days at a time. And so this guy had a ton of experience with lions. And he said something really interesting. I've never heard before in my life about lions. He said, he said Matt, the female lions actually do most of the hunting. So the female lions do most of the hunting. And he said, what's interesting is when they hunt you, they don't make a sound. They don't roar. They're super quiet. They sneak up on you. They pounce on you. And you're getting munched before you even know what hits you. They're super quiet. They don't roar at all. He said, but the male lions are different. He said, sometimes they'll sneak up on you. He said, but a lot of times they won't sneak up at all, but they'll actually announce their presence. He said, a male lion will get up on a hill somewhere He'll find some stuff that he wants to eat and he'll actually roar really loud. It's like he's letting everybody know because you can hear it for miles. He said, it's, he said, it's chilling, this sound, this lion roar. It's like he's letting everybody know, hey, everybody, I want to let you know Mustafa's here and I'm hungry, I'm going to eat you for lunch, right? <laughs> Just calling his shot. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that if I'm down at the bottom of the hill, I'm a herd of elephants, and I hear the roaring lion, then at that point, I'm gonna recognize it. And I'm gonna look around at all my elephant buddies. I'm gonna say, hey, everybody, uh, let me get your attention. Important safety tip, that was a lion. <laughs> and we probably at this point need to get into some sort of defensive position and get ready for the attack that's inevitably coming. I really do think that's what Peter's getting at when he says that our enemy, our adversary, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion. I think he's saying, look, if you're gonna avoid getting devoured by him, if you're gonna avoid getting taken out by him, if you're gonna, get, if you're gonna avoid being destroyed by him, then you need to learn to recognize his roar. You need to learn to recognize, since he's invisible, you need to learn to recognize the attacks of the enemy. Now, the good news, guys, is that even though Satan is invisible, his attacks are really obvious. Satan has some very distinctive roars, some very distinctive attacks, and we've got to learn to recognize them, okay? I'm going to give you a couple of examples of the way Satan attacks us so that you and I can recognize them and fight back against them. One of the primary ways, for taking notes, one of the primary ways that Satan attacks you and I is through lies. It's through lies, Satan loves to lie about a certain thing, which I'll tell you in just a second, but I want you to listen to how Jesus describes Satan in John chapter eight, verse 44. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Watch what Jesus says. 
for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. I've never thought about that till this week. I've heard father of lies my whole life, but father of lies means he's the original liar. He's the first liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus said he is the father of lies. And so what that means and what he's trying to show us is that one of the primary ways that Satan is gonna come after you and attack you is he's gonna lie to you. Now, theological question, what is Satan gonna lie to you about? He's gonna lie to you primarily about the word of God. He's gonna lie to you about the word of God. That is what he most often lies about. And you see that in the very first interaction that Satan has with man. Satan comes up, he rolls up on Adam and Eve and he is trying to get them to sin and the way that he does it is to lie to them about what God said to them, okay? Genesis 3.1, don't turn there, listen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now watch what he says in verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And so he's trying to take out Adam and Eve. He's trying to get them to sin. He takes two tactics, Adam. Number one, he tries to get Adam and Eve to question God's word. He looks at him and he says, hey, did God really say that you can't eat of the fruit in the middle of the tree of the garden? Try to get him to question what God said and it didn't work because Eve looks back at him and says, yeah, as a matter of fact, Satan, that's exactly what he said. We can't eat the fruit of that tree. And so the next thing Satan does, if you can't get him to doubt God's word, is he just straight running lies to him about God's word. He looks at Adam and Eve and says, I know God said, if you eat of the tree, you're not gonna die, but I'm telling you, Satan says, I'm telling you, you're not going to die. He lies to him about what God said. It's an outright lie. And what happened? They didn't believe God's word, but they believed Satan's lie. They ate of the fruit and death entered in the world because Satan always lies and God always tells the truth. Okay? One of the most obvious ways that Satan is gonna attack your life is he's gonna try to make you doubt or he's gonna outright lie to you about the word of God. A couple ways he's gonna do this. One of the ways he'll do it is through external voices. Satan will raise up false teachers, satanic false teachers, and they're gonna speak lies about the word of God. As a matter of fact, one of the most distinguishing marks of a false teacher is their teaching contradicts this book. Sounds good. It's pleasing to the ears, but it's the opposite of what God says. In the last year or so, I'll give you two examples. I could give you many. I'll give you two. I was listening to this guy preach. He was talking about how same-sex marriage is not a sin. This is literally what he said. He said, does God really have a problem with who you choose to love? Does God really have a problem with who you choose to love? Heard another teacher saying, was teaching that hell is not a real place. He said, would God really send someone to an eternal punishment? Would God really send someone to eternal punishment? Think about what those two teachers were saying. Does God really 
Would God really, for crying out loud, does that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what Satan said in the Garden of Eden. And so Sage Molly, everybody look at me. If you're cruising around and you hear some teacher that says he's got some fresh new word from God that contradicts 2,000 years of what the church has said this book means. That is not a fresh new word. That's a word that's old and stale as the lie that was told on the first day in the garden when Satan rolled up and said, did God really say? Yeah, God really said. And so you're gonna hear it from external voices, but what I've sort of learned and experienced in my life, and I don't know exactly how this happens, but I really do believe that Satan makes us question God's word internally. I think there's ways that he impacts us and speaks to us. You know, for example, as a believer, let's say you're a believer, you know exactly what God says about his love for you. You know exactly what God says about his forgiveness of your sins, but man, have you ever heard that voice in your head that's like, hey, you think God loves you? But listen, you've sinned way too much for God to forgive you. You, you think God would forgive someone like you? You, you, you forget, you've sinned way too much for God to ever forgive you. Listen, any whisper that you hear like that in your head or your heart that directly contradicts what the word of God says, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You need to learn to recognize it. One more distinctive roar of the enemy. Not only does he lie to us, and the scripture calls him a liar and a deceiver, but the scripture also calls him an accuser. Scripture calls Satan an accuser. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, watch this, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Guys, this is huge. So this is how Satan works. First thing he does is he puts on the hat of the deceiver. He puts on the hat of the liar and he comes to you and he lies to you about God's word and tries to get you to sin. And just like Adam and Eve, sometimes we don't believe God's word, we believe his lies and we fall into sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And then what he does, after he's deceived us and lied to us and get us to sin, then he takes off the hat of the deceiver and he puts on the hat of the accuser. And he starts accusing us so that we'll feel shame and we'll feel this guilt and we'll start questioning our relationship with God. Has something like this ever happened to you? You're a believer, you love the Lord with all your heart, but you've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God and there's some area in your life where you're not walking well with Christ and you try to walk into church and start worshiping. You sinned, you fell short of the glory of God and you come into church and the music starts playing and you think, you know what? Today, I'm gonna worship God even though all this stuff's going on in my life. I'm gonna worship God because he's worthy of my worship. And right as you begin to sing, all of a sudden you hear the voice of the accuser and he's saying, oh, you're gonna worship God now, are you? Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember what you're really like? Don't you remember how much of a failure you are? 
And that guilt and that shame shuts your mouth. And you stand there not giving God the worship that he desperately deserves. Here's another one. Maybe there's been times in your life that you have sensed God calling you to do something. Maybe it's something as simple, if, if you're a parent, it's like leading the Bible study for your kids around the family dinner table at night. Or maybe it's giving your testimony, young folks, you're at school and you really sense that God, the Spirit's leading you to share your testimony or share your faith with somebody at school or, or at work. And, and when you're about this close to doing that, you hear the voice of the accuser and it's like, oh, you want to serve God, huh? You're such a hypocrite. You're nothing but a hypocrite. Have you, have you forgotten what you're really like? And then you think you're unworthy. And so it shuts your mouth. That is the voice of the accuser. It's the voice of the accuser. It's one of the primary ways that Satan attacks us. And so if you're a believer and you've been covered with the blood of Christ Jesus, whenever you hear a voice externally, internally, and it, it says you're not worthy, you're not worthy to serve God, you're not worthy to worship God, you're not worthy to be loved by God because of X, Y, and Z, you can almost guarantee, you can take it to the bank, that is the attack of the enemy. You need to learn to recognize it. And so, so far he's, he's taught us, be sober-minded. You don't need to walk around pie in the sky forgetting he exists. You need to be keenly aware you have an enemy and he's going to try to take you out. Number two, you need to be watchful and alert. We've got to learn to recognize the attacks of the enemy. He attacks us through lies. He attacks us through accusations. Other places in the scripture, it says he tries to tempt us. He's the tempter. Those are the three primary ways. Now, what Peter does last here is he tells us, all right, here's exactly what you do when those attacks come. You recognize the lie, you recognize the accusation, you recognize the temptation. In that moment, what do you do? He tells us, he gets very, very specific. Look at verse eight. Be sober-minded, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Watch what he says here, verse nine. He says, but resist him firm in your faith. What Peter just did was tell us exactly how you and I are supposed to fight the attacks of Satan. He said, resist him firm in your faith. When you recognize the attack of the enemy, you resist him and you do that through standing firm in your faith. Fight, fight Satan with faith. Now, here's a question. What's faith? Now, guys, I'm almost done. So I want y'all to zoom in here. This is one of the most important things you could ever hear a preacher talk about. I'm gonna talk about faith for a second. First time I heard this, it, it radically changed my understanding of, of what faith is and how critical it is. So I want you to zoom in for a couple of minutes. You resist him firm in your faith. What does faith mean? Faith is one of those words that we hear a lot in church. Most people don't really know what it means. And if they do, a lot of times they use it wrongly. I'm gonna give you the simplest but most accurate definition of faith. Faith is believing God's word. I know that sounds simple, but that's it. Faith is believing and trusting yourself into God's word. In other words, if God says it, you believe it and you trust into it. That's faith. 
It's that simple. One of the best examples of what faith looks like in the whole Bible is the Roman centurion. Story of Roman centurion. Jesus was walking down the road and this Roman soldier walks up to him and says, hey, Jesus, my servant is sick and he's about to die. He says, can you heal him, Jesus? Now listen carefully. I want everybody to listen real carefully here. Jesus said, yes, I can heal him. Take me to where he's at and I will heal him. And the Roman soldier looked at Jesus and look at me, guys. Roman soldier looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't have to go where he's at. All you have to do is say the word and I know it's gonna happen. So Jesus is cruising along. Guy walks up and says, hey, can you heal my servant? He's sick. Yeah, just take me where he's at. I'll heal him. Guy says, you don't have to say the word. All you got, or you don't have to go there. All you have to do is say the word. I know it'll happen. Jesus stopped, turned around, and the scripture says he marveled. When you look at the Greek, it's a great word. It, it basically means that this Roman soldier blew Jesus' mind. Jesus' jaw dropped. And then Jesus turned around and looked at the crowd and said, hey, everybody, I want you to know I have never seen faith like that in all of Israel. Now, what in the world did this guy do to make the son of the living God stop in his tracks, marvel, blow his mind and say, I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. All the dude did was say, Jesus, you don't have to go there. All you, all you gotta do is say it and I know it's gonna happen. That's faith. That is a picture of faith. Peter said, when the attacks of Satan come, you resist him by being firm in your faith, which means that you do not believe Satan's lies when they come, but you believe God's word. It's that simple. When the attacks of the enemy come, when the accusations of the enemy come, when the temptations come, and everything inside of you wants to believe those lies, you go, no. God, if you said it, I believe it, and I'm gonna trust in it. That's faith. That's what it looks like. Apostle Paul, real quick, he actually says the exact same thing. Another famous verse you've heard many times, probably never connected them. Ephesians 6, 16, he talks about faith, how we fight Satan. Look at Ephesians 6, 16. Paul says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows that the evil one throws. So he's throwing darts at us, accusations, lies, temptations. And here's what uh, Paul said, you're able to completely extinguish all of them is through a shield of faith, which is believing God's word. Now, there's one more thing that Paul says, because the first one he gives us was a shield of faith. It's a defensive weapon. But we also have an offensive weapon against Satan, which is pretty much the same thing. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 17, next verse. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? So when, when you recognize the flaming arrows of Satan coming at you, 
You defend yourself with the shield of faith, which means you believe God's word. And then you go on the attack with the sword of the spirit, which is the proclamation of God's word. All right, so I'm gonna show you what this looks like. Joe Simmons, are you here? Where are you? This is for you. I'm gonna pull this out. Joe told me one time when I first got here that I hold my Bible like a sissy, so I'm gonna hold it like a sword. Here's what it looks like. You make a decision one day as a believer that you're gonna live for Almighty God. You're, gonna, you're tired of going after the stuff of the world and you wanna completely surrender to him, but as soon as you make that decision, there's that little voice again that's saying, oh, you wanna completely surrender to God. Don't you remember what you did that night in college? Don't you remember that divorce? Have you forgotten about that addiction? Have you forgotten what you looked at? Have you forgotten what you did? Have you forgotten how you treated your wife? God could never use a person like you, so why don't you just go back to the way you were? What's he done? He's lied to you, he's accused you, and he's tempted you. But you're sober-minded, and you're on an alert, and so you recognize that is an attack of the enemy. And so here's what you do. You lift up the shield of faith. And in that moment, you say, Satan, I am not gonna believe what you're saying about me. I'm gonna believe what God says about me. And what God says about me is that I'm not an unworthy sinner, but what God says about me is I am a blood-bought, forgiven child of the living God. So you believe that in that moment. That's putting up the shield of faith. You've extinguished the stuff that he's thrown at you. But you need that sucker to leave, right? You need to get rid of him. He throws some darts, didn't work, boom, they bounced off the shield of faith. So you pull out the sword of the spirit and you begin to proclaim his word back to Satan. You pull out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You say, Satan, not only do I believe what God says today, but let me remind you what God says today. God's word says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive all of my sins and cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. And by the way, Satan, this book says that my sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. And in case you've forgotten, the scripture says there is now because of Jesus Christ, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? And if we do that, held up the shield of faith, proclaimed the word of God, our sword of the spirit, what happens? Well, James 4, 7 tells us what happens. James says, submit yourself, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from I'm done, but hear me, hear me clearly. Satan is really, really powerful. But there's one thing that you see over and over that he is scared to death of. And that is a child of the living God that is standing firm on the word of God. He can't handle it and he'll run. So here it is, check this out. Laying on the plane here, almost done. I want you to think about if you sense some attacks of the enemy in your life as I've described 
them? Are there lies right now that you're believing about you? How do you know they're lies? They're contrary to what God has clearly said. Are there accusations that you're believing? If you think you're unworthy to serve God, be loved by God, be used by God, those are all accusations of the enemy. Are there temptations right now that are coming at you? Those are contrary to God's plan for your life. Is there fear? Is there anxiety? Is there anger? Is there apathy that has lulled you to sleep and created a distance between you and God? All that stuff is probably from Satan. And so here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to realize that he has declared war on you. And so maybe it's time today that you declared war on him. Maybe it's time you declared war on him. You have a shield. You have a sword. And by the way, you have the one who was tempted in every way. You have the one that was accused in every way. You have the one that was lied to every way and yet he was the one that clung in faith to his father and died on a cross and rose from the grave victorious in every way. His name is Jesus Christ and he lives inside of you right now. And greater is he, greater is he than lives in you, than lives in this world. And I'll end with this and we'll pray. I, I grew up... Um, listening to a band years and years ago in the 70s and 80s called the Imperials. Y'all remember the Imperials? Shocks y'all that I listen to them, but I do. One of my favorite lines to one of those old songs. It's now Satan is a liar and he wants to make us think that we're paupers when he knows himself we're children of the king. So lift up the mighty shield of faith because the battle must be won. But we know Jesus Christ is risen. So the work's already done.